My name is Zara. And my name is Maisha. And you're listening to That's What They Said. Where we break down the them versus us narrative. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of That's What They Said. It's a gloomy... Sunday morning here in Vancouver. Maisha and I are at my house. We are about to record this episode, but I can't say we are in the best of moods here. Um, Canada as a, as a nation, and us included, we are shocked and we are extremely disappointed and extremely um, upset about the news that just came out of about a week ago of remains of 215 indigenous children were found in an unmarked mass grave at the Kamloops Indian Residential School on the Tekumloops Tehsekwepmek First Nation. Yeah. Um, apologies if I pronounced that incorrectly, but that is the name of the First Nation where this Kamloops Residential School is. And the remains of these children were actually found just in the school with the use of a ground penetrating radar technology. Yeah, it's just kind of, it's, it's it's just extremely horrifying news. Um, this is kind of something that Indigenous communities have been telling us for for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, for decades, this is really. For decades. This is not something that's new. Is News like this has previously been found. Yeah. But just to think of the vast number of children, 215 children at the school, and it actually the school has records showing approximately... 50, approximately 50. I've seen between 50 to 53 children who were killed in this residential school. Yeah. So to think that, you know, almost five times the number of kids were actually mm-hmm. dead, killed yeah. or died. Exactly. Um, Murdered, and only whatever, 50 yeah. were recorded. Um, that's it, a huge discrepancy. That's a huge discrepancy. Yeah, discrepancy. exactly. And so that's why we are doing this episode today um, about indigenous, indigenous community in Canada, as well as the history of residential schools and um, just stuff along those lines. You know, we've been trying to get a guest onto our show, an indigenous um leader onto our show for quite some time now uh due to many reasons we, ha- we haven't been able to do that yet but so that's why i want to take this episode to really talk about why these residential schools were ignored in the mainstream media mm-hmm. and why there's so much lack of knowledge around it because personally what we realized is um when this incident came out um a week ago we posted a few things on our story um if you're not following us on instagram you should yeah we, f- we share quite a number of helpful information yeah. about different issues. Exactly. So and they're definitely follow. from good sources. These yeah. are screenshots of newspaper articles yeah. and um, verified sources. And what we realized was quite a few people started resharing our um, posts, which, you know, which goes to show that there isn't really a lot of knowledge about it, especially mainstream media and on the social media yeah. platforms, right? Because, yeah. you know, we have infographics for many things. Yeah. But even with this issue, I think because it was a sensitive issue, many people refrained yeah. from creating a lot of infographic, infographics. And in general, there's a lack of knowledge around it in yeah. Canada with people who are Canadian by like by birth and who've lived here forever and with people who have immigrated and come into yeah. um, Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And just people around the world, you know, when you think of Canada, you don't think of this really dark history. you know dark history which kind of surpassed into the present right yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's why uh, you know we want to today just talk about the yeah. basic history and what residential schools are and then eventually you know we'd like to have um indigenous community members onto our podcast so they yeah. can talk more to it they can talk yeah. about their experiences so we're definitely going to get on that but if you know of someone that yeah. would be a great person to have on our podcast for this topic we welcome you to dm us or yeah. message us and let us yeah. know I think one thing we would like people to take away from our episode today, because, you know, we are 
hoping to discuss a lot of the stuff that newspeople have experienced, but there in no way can we capture the intensity, the extent of the abuse and mm-hmm. the depth of the injustice that they have faced in since Canada or should I say since British people and European people started yeah. colonizing this land. Um, so there's no way we can capture all of it, but we are trying to do our, our best to give an overview to our listeners because we understand that there is a dearth mm-hmm. of information and awareness about what has happened in Canada. Yeah. So And at the end of the day, even for Canadians... Um, it's important to understand that you cannot build a better future with the people of this land unless you recognize the horrific past. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And I think um, Maisha and I, we are immigrants in Canada. Yeah, we've been we, living here for about 10 years. And um, what she said, it goes for us as well. Uh, I wouldn't say that I knew much about Indigenous history up until the last few years. Yeah. Um, it was not something that was really, as an engineering student and as an economic student, I don't know about you, but at least for me, I wasn't really taught the history as when was, I first entered If you think university. about it, what, you came in 2011, I came in 2012. Since then, the biggest landmark, even which was a few years ago, in 2015 was this big Truth and Reconciliation Commission mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in detail in a few minutes came out and that's when it was huge in media and I remember that was something that in the 2015 Canadian federal election got mentioned and yeah. talked about a lot because it was a landmark work done by a panel of experts yeah. and it, it basically kind of like you know told Canada hey you did you pulled a lot of crap exactly. I think that's probably the, around the same time between 2014 yeah. to 15 when I really got to exactly. know about these um, about Indigenous, many indigenous things. What I normally hear is like indigenous art, indigenous culture, which is also important to know about, but you don't really know about their history, about what happened to them and what continues to happen to them. And so, yeah, we're immigrants. We're here in Vancouver and um, in in particular, Vancouver is, uh, Vancouver is in the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples. Yeah. And unceded meaning to those, this is a a unceded meaning that the the land was officially not actually, you know, given or Mm -hmm. signed on by the, indigenous people here to the federal government yes, so that's yes. what's often in colloquially so-called stolen land yeah because you know you're living in someone's land without their permission yeah but of course that lack of permission got diluted over the decades and Pretty centuries much. right yeah um so yeah i think even on our part we are this episode uh was is our effort is our way of first of all as we were working on this episode we learned a lot and we hope that a lot of people just have you know at least become more aware right Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day uh, one of the best ways forward to build a better relationship with the indigenous people is to understand you know how horrific their experience was right well not that we were part of Canada when it was founded because we're (laughs) immigrants but yeah. I think that's the thing. Even as immigrants, when we came here, the the culture, the importance, the um, the existence of Indigenous people was not as highlighted. No, yeah, right. Like and you I, don't you don't necessarily think of Canada in that way, right? Like no? you think of Canada as like a land of like really famous pop Mountains. stars and like polite people, yeah, nature, and which is true, which is hundred percent true. You know, I've learned a lot from living in Canada about um, natural beauty and just I've learned to appreciate many mm-hmm. things that I didn't that I didn't learn anywhere else. But the the truth of the matter is nothing is perfect. Everything every has, cat, every everything, has a, everything has a past, present, future that, you know, depends on history. And you have yeah. to learn it. You have to know it, whether it's good or bad, yeah. uncomfortable, whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, we'll get, I guess we'll take you through a brief history of 
Yeah, like we're yeah. not gonna like you know yeah, give, you, no, no. give all like there's no way and we can catch all the details. Mm-hmm. We will ask everyone to please like make an effort if you want. But we hope that this if some people can't, this episode should serve as like kind of like overview. So basically, you know, Indigenous people have lived in this land for mill centuries. Yeah, right, millennia, like since the beginning of time, it was their land. So when British people and Europeans started, immig- people started immigrating here, mm-hmm. and then you know the British Empire extended to can what is currently Canada. Yeah, um, more. As more and more more settlers, as they were called, were coming on to this land um, in order to work out a way to live and you know get the benefit of this land. The settlers versus the indigenous people. Yeah. Um, a lot of them, after a lot of different negotiations, and but sometimes and often through, um, I would like to I'd like to say yeah for. Um, kind of like bringing the indigenous people metaphorically down to their knees so they yeah. were forced to sign on to treaties right because i was for example i think the cree um first nation in, in alberta mm-hmm. uh we're reading an article in al jazeera it was talking about how you know there was this tactic called um killing the buffalo tactic by the federal government by the canadian government or at that time the british um colonists that they were killing buffaloes which were i think a main uh animal being hunted by the first nation mm-hmm. or the indigenous people um and uh in order to kill the source of their i guess food and primary source of their livelihood hidden where it hurts yeah and then they were forced because they were they're 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 in Entire First Nation, their Indigenous people, their community was hurting. They were starving. Yeah, they needed help. That's when they had to enter like a treaty exactly. with federal government. So it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily a fair negotiation. Yeah, it was like so. Oftentimes, it was not a negotiation. It was a coercion. Coercion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, that's a good uh, way to say it. Yeah. And a lot of times, these treaties um, were were being entered. So you need to understand the British people spoke English, and then the Indigenous people didn't necessarily understand English, just mm-hmm. like British people didn't understand the Indigenous language. And as a result of that, sometimes Indigenous people didn't know that what was written on the treaty is that they were actually signing on their land away, yes. because what they understood was the spirit of these treaties was we were going to live on this land harmoniously and mm-hmm. you know have a we, we share a relationship, because they thought the treaties were between an, a nation and another nation, yeah, right. Because that's why you know we call these indigenous people in Canada First Nations as well, exactly. Because they were actually a nation. They had um they had their yeah. version of government, exactly, law and order, yeah. schooling, everything. So they had to give all of that up to the various treaties that were signed. Exactly, exactly. So they understood this was a it was a treaty between equals. Mm-hmm. But what was actually done by the British colonists fraudulently mm-hmm. was first of all they used bad coercion tactics to get these people to the table, negotiating table. Yeah. And secondly, they didn't communicate what was in the treaties. Often these treaties were in English and um, even in translators who could translate to indigenous language, sometimes they couldn't. These translators yeah. didn't know how to translate. Yeah, like I think we all know if, if we speak different languages that it's there's no there's not always a direct translation yeah. to something, right? Yeah. So, so many things can get lost in exactly. translation. Yeah. So then so a lot of these treaties to this day, a lot of the First Nations um uh, members indigenous people their mm-hmm. leaders their chiefs said that the trees were done coerced we were coerced yeah. we were forced like you know economically we had no option but to sign those treaties but we were signing it that hey we're going to work nation to nation just like for example uh i don't know like uh bangladesh would sign a treaty like a understanding or something with say india or like the u.s that hey you're going to give us some money or mm-hmm. hey we're going to make an export agreement for something we're going to sell something to you something like that point is they were treated like um 
how do you call it, savages. Yeah. And we use this word because this was a word used by the first prime minister of Canada. But anyway, not to say go over all of that. But the yeah. point is the treaties were um, deceptively done. Mm-hmm. And then once the treaties were signed, these indigenous people were kind of like herded onto reserves. Yeah. So let's say they owned a piece of land, but then they were kind of like pushed, 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 pushed and cornered into these much smaller piece of land. And then around um, 1867, um, the federal government of Canada, uh, sorry, the Can- Canadian Canada attained independence around 1867 mm-hmm. as a nation. And then in 1876, a federal government introduced the legislation of Indian Act. Yes. Which is about uh, basically saying that the federal government will have ultimate control over every aspect of indigenous life which is basically occupation and yeah. colonization <laughs> yeah essentially. Um, because yeah. let's be real even in a normal democracy a government does not have control over all aspects of their citizens mm-hmm. if that was the case that'd be almost close to communism let's just be real which we, which we don't like which you <laughs> no. know is not appreciated in the world yeah. so if you think even communism is not this bad because mm-hmm. colonization is worse so to say all of this is that basically they treated like indigenous people the people who live on this land from centuries and millennia basically that it was not their land yeah and then and then the, i think there's a misconception that um reserves are say owned by indigenous people yeah they're not owned by indigenous mm-hmm. people like they're given to indigenous people to cre- create what they want but then it's owned by the government right yeah and not to mention there's there's such there's lack of like adequate water adequate housing so many things in the in reserves where it makes it difficult for these indigenous people to live essentially yeah, yeah. exactly mm-hmm. exactly because the in so the indian act it gave the government canadian federal government sweeping powers to control and erode first nations identity political structures cultural practices mm-hmm. and education yeah so there were several amendments made to the act you know including making it illegal for first nation people to practice religious ceremonies yeah and then forcing first nation children to attend residential schools which we're going to talk about it in a minute yeah so point is it was horrible yeah and, and there's there have been many amendments to it because i think throughout the process they realized they've been like was. yeah they've, they've just realized how every step of the way there's been so much wrong done to this community yeah. that there's been amendment after amendment and we're still at the point where there's amendment after amendment right? like it was very yeah. it was very sexist to begin with because yeah, the indian act initially said indigenous women if they marry a non-status which is non-indigenous man will be um this sort of like you know you're no longer getting gonna get a mm. lot of equal rights like yeah. so that's sexist like who, who yeah. said you could do that yeah but anyway but yeah and the, i think some aspects of the indian act is meant to help them preserve their yeah culture so that's the thing it's like it's constantly evolving this act yeah, yeah. and it, the every every like ch- amendment to it is trying to take away the you know yeah. like the discrimination yeah. but i think it's it's almost like the main wrong deed was so wrong that it's hard even with amendments to fix. And I think that's a good point. I yeah. just mentioned that they are, because when it, the, or, the original intention of the, in, the, the legislation was to basically keep the control them yeah. over the decades. Now it has become a, you know, indigenous people has turned this into a tool to help themselves. Yeah. Because they're like, this is what now, it's, it's sort of like, think about, I mean, I'm thinking of an analogy and this might be a simple one. You know how, um, uh, the word N word, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that was used against oh. black people, mm-hmm. right? Now 
we as other POCs and other white people and other nobody else except for black people can say the N word. Yeah. Because now now they are, you know, turning the around. It, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So now the legislation in a way has been like you can't take it off the table. Exactly. Because at least this is one piece of work that we get exclusively for ourselves. So let's work on it together so that we can make our life better. Yeah. If you want to help us, let's work on this legislation. Yeah, together. I think that's what happened during the first Trudeau government. They tried to eliminate yes. the Indian Act, but um indigenous communities were like, No, we can't. Exactly. But yeah, so the Indian Act, I think one of the main um one of the main things that came out of the Indian Act was residential schools, which is what we're mainly talking about today, especially because of what we found at the uh, Kamloops Residential School. So residential schools, these schools started around the uh, 1800s. And um, what their main goal was is to essentially assimilate uh, indigenous children into, say, more Christian, Euro Eurocentric qualities. Essentially, yeah. you're essentially like reprogramming children. So the residential schools, um, their origins are, can be traced back to the church. I mean, yeah, they, all, they yeah. already existed. Mm -hmm. There were, you know, a few residential schools were being run. Yeah. Um, and before, you know, Canada's independence and before the enactment of the Indian yeah. Act. But I think after. You know, when the federal government was thinking about how to, I'm using quotation marks, civilize <laughs> indigenous children here, yeah. they were like, what what tool we can use yeah. to see Education is a very, yeah. like, it's a very big tool because when you, the in the words of John A. Macdonald, who is the first prime minister of Canada, education is like the biggest tool to turn these savages into yeah. civilized humans, which is not... Correct. So we kind of want to like um, mention this quote by Johnny McDonald, who was the first prime minister of Canada, who told the House of Commons, basically the Parliament mm -hmm. of Canada, in 1883. So that's what about um, maybe like um, seven years after the Indian Act was in enacted. He said, when the school is on the reserve, the child lives with his parents, who are savages. He's surrounded by savages, and though he may learn to read and write his habits... Yeah. Sorry, though he may learn to read and write, his habits and training and mode of thought are Indian. He's simply a savage who can read and write. It has been strongly pressed on myself as the head of the department that Indian children should be withdrawn as much as possible from the parental influence. And the only way to do that would be to put them in central training industrial schools where they will acquire the habits and modes of thought of, wait for it, white men, because, you know, white men, quote ends, but I should add, because white men are apparently the, you know, pieces of like work by god like the best piece of work Apparently, yeah so. i think they were seen as like this the highest perfect. level of yeah. because everybody else was savage yeah. right so they're so while this is about religion while it was while it was you know primarily the church but in canada it this started, was run mostly by say european white settlers exactly they were trying to achieve their qualities and everybody else was savage or they're essentially trying to take the indian out of these um, indigenous people and going back to the origins of the indian act which was to control the indigenous people yeah. so that these settlers can continue to grow their country is you know the main tool became the residential school because education essentially gave them like a means to an end within exactly. the end being the control exactly. and education being the means to like okay let's put our ideals in them and then exactly they will eventually Learn yeah. to love us or whatever, which, exactly. you know, unfortunately, they can't really learn to love them because yeah. the kind of things that happen in residential schools is completely atrocious. Yeah. And just to go back to your point that earlier you were saying about religion, because at the end of the day, you know, because Aboriginal people had their own religion too, these exactly. people, right? So I think well, that own, like, uh, what yeah, Canadian spiritual. government at the time thought was that how can they have their own religion? Yeah. They're savages. They have to, in order to even mold them to our white 
like to what and this is quote has been used uh, and the words we're saying by the way a lot of it comes from the truth and reconciliation commission yeah. report so feel free to fact check us if you want mm-hmm. um but uh, a lot uh, a lot of these uh, federal government thought that you know what they can't have their own religion yeah. we have to even mold them in our own religion yeah. so which is why the red some residential schools operated by churches at the time which were in no way what they later turned out to be for indigenous children these residential schools were a lot of uh, something like industrial schools mm, yeah. uh you know which were you know kids were taught to uh, read and write plus do some um actual like life work like you know like agricultural work and mm-hmm. chores and stuff like that so that's industrial schools are modern after that um but it's important to understand that you know that collaboration between uh, the federal government of Canada and the churches Church. happened because they were like this is the best tool that we have right now in order to also make sure that you know they follow our Christian religion. Yeah, it's it just saddens me so much to think of the industrial um, school example that you wanted to give a boarding school so they can be assimilated into society, but you model it not after the fancy boarding schools that yeah. you have in Europe. But you model it after industrial, industrial schools. schools from Europe. So you're basically seeing them as like cattle or something, or yeah. like that we need to put them into work. Once yeah, exactly. Up. And it's 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 just so sad that people thought like this. And you know, this has happened throughout history where um, it's true. Like there's a religious aspect. Like so many religions thought they could just like that a certain a certain group's religious beliefs or uh, culture was just so so wrong that they had to be forcibly converted, right? And even, like, people's thinking of gay conversion therapy and whatnot. The the fact that people really thought that, and this is, like, a little segue from, I guess, just indigenous people in general. Like, why do people think that what they don't believe is so wrong that they can be forcibly changed? That's where, you know, abuse of power comes in, right? Let it be if you're you're the majority in any form, either religion or race or sexuality, right? I think... regardless of all that history shows right mm-hmm. like in, across different parts of the world whoever yeah. has been at the top has thought that they were right you yeah. know their religion their race their sexuality yeah who told you you're the right. pinnacle of like human achievement and human like <laughs> superiority anyways whatever yeah going but, back yeah but yes coming back to residential schools i think the the residential schools what they turn out was basically the government said and this was under the indian act where they were like you know okay, you know what, you're unfit to be parents. Uh, that's what federal government of Canada basically said, that you're unfit to be parents. So here's the thing. When we say residential school existed before the Indian Act, mm-hmm. there's a reason why Aboriginal or Indigenous parents never send their kids there because they knew that it was a harsh institution. And these are industrial schools. These are not really boarding schools. Yeah, like, they're not caring yeah, for their children. These are the industrial that schools that are going to put my kids to work. So there's a reason why Indigenous people weren't sending them to begin with. Mm-hmm. But after the enactment of the Indian Act, federal government was like, you know what, we need to straighten of these savages yeah and we use the savage word savage in this uh episode today to just emphasize to you that's the exact word used by federal government at that time yeah um to civilize the savages and the best place they thought of doing was taking kids when they were just you know they were their brain is developing yeah they were just learning about the world so taking kids from as young as three four five years old mm-hmm. all the way up to 16 yeah and the school on the reserve is not fit or the school being operated by the indigenous people and the way they're educating their children is not fit no. so they took them and, you know, put them in trucks or buses and they were traveling hundreds or sometimes a thousand kilometers away to a school so far away from home. Yeah. And and I think um, one of the examples that we actually came across was this woman in the Cree Nation in Alberta mm-hmm. where she um, she was saying that when her family came to visit her, 
they were talking in their own language. Yes. They were talking yeah. in their own language, but in residential schools, as as a child of a residential school, you are not allowed to talk in your indigenous languages. Yeah. You have to speak in English. So when they met their parents and their family members, there was other nurses and the caretakers, nuns, sorry, not yeah, nuns, nuns and caretakers of the residential schools who would stand there supervising. while they were super while they were meeting their parents. You and know, that sounds they like they a would, prison visit. Exactly. By the way. And they would supervise what language you spoke into your family. So it was like they couldn't even speak their like own language, own language like with their family. She yeah. couldn't speak Cree, and then and her parents were speaking Cree, and she can't respond in Cree. Exactly. She can only respond English, which her parents either barely understood or exactly. didn't understand so that at all. You just so created a mis- you just created like a huge communication gap with your own family. So not only I mean, are you being child. taken away from yeah. them, not only is a child being taken away from them, their communication has been like yeah, cut between yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing: residential schools ended up of. course, Alleged, they said at the time, you know, the federal government and school operators were saying that we are educating these children to read and write. But the the idea worked that you know children were supposed to come back home every summer, yeah, right. And some of them did, some of them didn't. Yeah. Um, and then when the kids end up did come back to their parents, a lot of the families were like, you know, we are not seeing our child like develop. Yeah. They're not getting educated. Like mm-hmm. they can't. What you would expect. A lot of their children. A lot of these children were failing kindergarten. Yeah. They're failing grade one, grade two, and the reason being that in it was being drilled to them day in day out in their classes that a who you are, who you are is not acceptable. Who you are is um, a sin, mm-hmm. um, and they actually because the churches were operating, is they were saying that God doesn't accept who you are. Yeah. So, and this is where a little bit segue because our things start when we're discussing. It's kind of like very hypocritical this idea because back then you know the idea was because you're indigenous. Yeah. We want you to civilize and become like white people. Like yeah. And these the same people. Or the same or ancestors uh, yeah, of the same people. The ancestors of the same people who were perpetuating this idea, their descendants now, which right they are not advocating for, say for example Be true to yourself. Yeah, think about like the US government or the British government or the Kenyan government, right? They kinda like go and judge people in South Asia for mm-hmm. um discriminating against LGBTQ people. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know what? You taught that part of the world for 200 years when you colonized it yeah. that it was wrong to be gay or bisexual, mm-hmm. transgender. And then you instituted that. And then you left and now you're coming back and you're saying, oh, you're wrong. Like, yeah, you're oppressive. Yeah. you Now you're... Basically what I'm trying to say is now you're... Now the same people, their descendants arguing that embrace who you are. Yeah. So... The, when I say this, that it, I'm saying that it needs to be acknowledged. Yeah. That you know, to be able to do that is a privilege in a way, mm-hmm. and uh, but it's just what it is. And I think what has been amazing to see is a lot of white Canadians have come out in support of Indigenous people mm-hmm. post exactly, this yeah. um, revelation and the Camelot Residential School. A lot of white Canadians were very shocked and yeah. they stood up. And the awareness in the re- in the millennials and Gen Zs about residential schools have been amazing yes. to watch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think, yeah, and then um, I think we need to go back a little bit to the residential schools and mention that not only did they separate children from their families, they treated them extremely poorly you know they were starved they were beaten they were sexual abuse physical abuse there was they were put in um like solitary confinement if they ever misbehaved and obviously there was the murder uh, yeah. and the missing children which no one knew where they went like a lot of times if um when if children say died of starvation or died of abuse or died of um whatever reason or suicide they were told parents were told that your kid ran away 
your like, kid yeah. ran away. Your, we don't know where he went. He just went missing. And that's why at this Kamloops inter- uh, residential school, there was 53 recorded deaths. But the grave showed there was 215 children yeah. in their it's, graves. Just yeah, bizarre if you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think one example I'd mention here is that on New Year's Day in 1937, a group of four boys ranging in age from seven to nine ran away from Fraser Lake Re- Indian Residential School intending to re- reunite with their families at the Nalde Reserve seven miles away. Yeah. Just seven miles away. Yeah. The school didn't bother to assemble a search party until the boys had been missing for more than 24 hours. When they did find the boys, they found that all four had frozen to death less mm-hmm. than a mile from home. Like you think about it, right? Like yeah. these small kids, they were tortured so much that yeah. the only way that they thought they could escape the torture was to leave in the exactly. middle of winter, yeah. like cold ass winter. Yeah. yeah, and you know, it's highly possible that they were running away, right? But the fact that they felt like they couldn't even go back to their families because they felt their families would send them back here. Because their families yeah. didn't have a choice. They had yeah. to send them back. Because, of the, because there the was Indian threat Act. of prosecution or arrest. Like, these parents were threatened by the federal government yeah. that if you don't send your kids to the schools, we'll arrest you, mm-hmm. we'll prosecute you. Like, And to these parents, they were like, well, we have to do it. Not because we want our kids to die, but yeah. we're hoping that we're sending them to a good school. That's what they were promised yeah. or they were told. Mm-hmm. So I think residential schools... Tragic. Very tragic. Like, you know, like, and to think that the kids were also abused... Sexually mm-hmm. and physically deprived of food, um, starvation, and a lot of these kids ended up failing a lot of times. Yeah. So because of those, imagine being subjected to that for years, right? When you become an adult, you're going to have to struggle. Like right now, think about so many people who yeah. are alcoholics or drug addicts or just having severe mental health issues. I'm not talking about indigenous people only. Yeah. A lot of people, right? Yeah. A lot of people have them because as a child, they were subject to different kinds of... Yeah. Um, Even emotional abuse, right? Like if yeah. you're told every day who you are is a sin, yeah. how does that affect you growing up, right? Yeah, like you're, you're wrong, right? Mm. So it's, it, was, it was definitely... Yeah. A tragic, but around I think 1930s, yeah. the federal government of in Canada started doing a lot, got, got a lot of complaints and finally was responding. And then they sent independent experts like physicians to these residential schools to understand what's exactly happening to the health of these kids because a lot of indigenous children were dying, yeah, missing, they were sicker. Um, so slowly, a lot of voices within the government, a lot of um academics a lot of doctors were voicing in canada that you know what what is happening in residential school is not good kids are being abused we need to do something about it and then around the 50s federal government stepped in saying you know what okay we're going to make this situation better uh (laughs) you know better (laughs) put them in the control of provincial governments Mm -hmm. uh, maybe and so transition out the collab stop collaborating with churches transition out the control to provincial governments and you know find and try integrating a lot of indigenous kids into the public schooling system yeah so and then came the 60s scoop so um that's actually something i found out from our research for this episode but i didn't know about the 60s scoop yeah i just kind of thought residential schools were the one and solid thing that was wrong with everything here but no so the 60s scoop this happened obviously during the 60s when as Maisha said um they were switching between residential school church control to government control and now instead of forcing kids to go to um residential schools they were being forcibly taken from their homes and essentially scooped from their homes which is why this is called the 60s scoop they're being scooped for them from their homes and kind of being sent to this foster care system where they'd have to live with non-indigenous families mostly white families to 
instead of being assimilated in residential schools, now you're being assimilated by white families because maybe they thought that white, like a single family taking care of a single child would What's be better than way? like an organization who yeah. couldn't oversee the abuse of um, one specific child. But either way, they're being ripped from their families, their culture, and being essentially yeah. Europeanized. Yeah. Or so now yeah. instead of being Christianized, they're being, that's not a word, whatever. Instead of being like assimilated to Christians, now they're being assimilated into like European Canadian standards. Yeah. By specific families. families yeah. yeah. So basically they, they after all that uproar, they just mm-hmm. replace residential school system. And sorry, they started replacing residential school system yeah. with this um, foster. Uh, foster care system or yeah. putting, and you know, putting them in uh, essentially adopting you know, people got to adopt these kids against the will of their current parents. Exactly. So without any proper assessment, the indigenous parents were just declared unfit. Exactly. Yeah. Which is... And, and you know, they weren't just sent to other Canadian white families. They were sent to the US. They were sent to New Zealand. They were sent to the UK as well. All the far away, even to Australia. Yeah, this Zealand. is so, yeah, yeah, so, so, so far away. Why would you... Like, how is that How is that legal? Right? Like, you literally just go in a... Champion of human rights, Canada. How is that legal? <laughs> yes. And you're I don't understand kids, it. right? Yeah. So, as we're saying this, we should tell our listeners that for Zara and I to work on this episode was actually a lot. Yeah. Because when we were researching, we were kind of like, we couldn't believe. Yeah. How? how Because we knew about residential schools, yes, a little bit. Like surface but level, yeah. We didn't know how bad things were. We didn't know about the 60s school. We didn't know that, you know, um, kids were like so so tortured yeah like you know and you know until this day majority of the kids in foster care are indigenous children right yeah like yeah. indigenous system indigenous children make up such a small percentage of canadian population but they make up a huge percentage of population that is homeless that is in foster care that is mm-hmm. um committing suicide yeah um that and, and many people like to just say that this is because indigenous people are lazy the indigenous people are they're, they're the, like well, the, well, the yeah. welfare system has basically made them reliant on all this yeah. kind of thing but you know you have to look at the root. I think yeah. the root is. You need to. Thing. You need to recognize. Yeah. That they were. What they were not given them. the same opportunities. They still have to fight for to Systemic get the same opportunities. oppression. Exactly mm-hmm. right. So I think it's. If a lot of indigenous people, they themselves know. A lot of indigenous residential school survivors, they themselves know that. A lot of indigenous people who went through the residential schooling system, mm-hmm. they ended up, you know, a lot of them ended up homeless because, or they ended up like um, committing suicide yeah. or struggling with mental health. And the reason being that a lot of these kids, they could never get over the trauma. I mean, think about it. Uh, a lot of people who were um, abused by the Catholic church priests and priests, right? That whole, this whole scandal. A lot of these kids, now adults, they say in the lawsuits that are filed against these reverends and pastors and all, they say that their life has been significantly affected because of that sexual and physical abuse. Yeah. Now, add to that that these kids were every day told that who you are is wrong. Yeah. You can't speak your language. They cut the kids' hairs as soon as they arrived at residential schools. Mm-hmm. Um, they couldn't in any way display anything <coughs> that made them who they are, their culture. So to think of all that, that's, that's a lifetime of abuse. Mm-hmm. And a certain, uh, uh, not every residential school survivor could get overcome it. A lot of them did. Yeah. A lot of them turned around their life, their advocates, their you know activists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is where I think a lot of people we sh- Google that you know there are a lot of indigenous people who are amazing. They're Grammy Award winning musicians. Yeah. They're Nobel Peace Prize nominees. There's uh, physicists, uh, scientists, environmental activists. Yeah. Like everybody knows about Greta Thunberg, but nobody knows about August Pelletier, who's like a huge water advocate in the indigenous community. I think in Ontario or somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, 
So, so. The, exactly. So point is that they're they are good mm-hmm. and they sorry, can, autumn pillager. Yeah, bad. and they can thrive <laughs> yeah. if given equal opportunity. Just to so just to jump to the stereotype that they're and I've seen this. I've heard this a lot from you know living in Canada. A lot of people just say, oh, like they're indigenous. They're like you know this or a colleague or this and i'm just like why do you say that though is that what you say about like i don't know like you must have done stereotypes about immigrants yeah for sure they do yeah right you know i've actually heard that from so many canadians like when i've worked in um different rest- different restaurants or stores in canada and i've had conversations with like customers with like uh not not just customers but like owners and other colleagues and stuff who are canadian not immigrants but like who are actually canadian who've mm-hmm. grown up here uh irrespective of their race or whatever the um, majority of people in canada that are say doing well or in a well-off family a middle-class family they have this misconception of indigenous people that they're just like lazy drunks yeah yeah and it's sad so i think i think now so now is a good time to mention that you know um what happened is the indigenous the last indigenous school closed in 1996 that's less than 30 years yeah 30 years like oh my lord um but yeah point being that you know federal government took over control in 1969 and they were the ones who were operating residential schools and so they, they were getting slowly phased out you know children were being integrated into public public schooling system but point is the harm was done think about the la- if you think about say a, a child who at the age of three went to a residential school in 1955 right he is now he or she is now in their late 50s early 60s or mid 60s yeah. like there's that is ima- so imagine you know and this is what i think r and i were looking at one of the opposition politicians responses to the Kamloops residential school discovery mm-hmm. they said that imagine what these kids could have been exactly the 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 the, the, the scientists the thinkers the mm-hmm. knowledge keepers so exactly. many things right so anyway they so, could have they could have helped this community come out of their grief come yeah. and like you know, they could have helped with the reconciliation process. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think, you know, the last school closed in 1996. And then post that, you know, there was I think, a lot of reflection on within Canadian, amongst Canadians and in the government. And then they finally in 2000, and then they came to an Indian residential school settlement agreement, a part of which was, you know, the federal government issued an official apology in 2008 for the residential schooling system, where they failed and why the whole system was basically utter bullshit and it's just the worst, some of the worst horrible things in Canada's history. Yeah. And then one of the things that came out of that ag- settlement agreement was uh, the formation of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Yes. And this is a commission that was formed in, I think, 2009 or 10. Mm-hmm. And it worked for five years yeah. tirelessly. They traveled coast to coast. Yeah. They interviewed thousands of residential school survivors. Yeah. And what really, they, they had like over 200 plus events to try yep. to get all this information, exactly. talk to everyone. Yeah. And then um, what I think was they documented that there were 150,000 children who went through that system. That's a lot. Um, 6,000 official deaths. Yeah. But 6,000 official deaths. Like probably more. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. yeah, there's definitely. Because that's just recorded, right? Yeah. I mean, if official. one school already has like four times the number of deaths imagine. than recorded, then imagine if you add up all the schools. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the Truth and Reconciliation Commission then reported published a report in 2015 that was a landmark report mm-hmm. um we would ask people to maybe take a quick look or do a do, just read a quick summary from somewhere yeah, it's really it's really long and it's probably not something that we can summarize right now fully but 
I think one of the main things that we saw, one of the reconciliation, um, what do they call it? Call to action. Yeah. Was to educate people about yeah. it, right? Yeah. And I think um, what we actually did... Because, I, and this is what I want to actually yeah, like uh, read out from the report, because they talked about, you know, what is reconciliation, right? Sure, yeah, that's actually important. And um, they were defining that reconciliation at the end of the day in Canada, um, it's about understanding the history, it's about understanding the past, mm-hmm. Um I'm trying to find it here. Um, so, the you know, in the report, they said that reconciliation is about establishing and maintaining a mutually respectful, respectful relationship mm-hmm. between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal peoples. In order for that to happen, there has to be awareness of the past, acknowledgement of the harm that has been inflicted, atonement for the causes, and action to change behavior. And yeah. we are not there yet. Yeah. We believe we can get there and believe we can maintain it. We just have to do the work. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good thing. You know, like it's like for example, I'm just this is I'm trying to like you know give a more give a simple example yeah. here. Think about like like when we try to like lose weight, for example, <laughs> yeah. right? When you're trying to like okay, you know what I, I want to lose weight, right? You think about your look at the, your history of eating habits, yeah, right? Or your okay, this is what I ha- eat. So you look at what you did in the past, yeah, right? And then you're like, okay, this is what I need to alter. You don't just sit down and be like, okay, from tomorrow, I'm going to eat this, 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 or this, this, yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Because you have to take into account your individual behavior, exactly. your habits, mm-hmm. before, in order to... Um, so you need that data. You need to analyze it in order to build a better efficient strategy to lose weight. True. And I give a very simple example here, but the point is, we all end up looking at our past in order to better build a better future. 100%. Yeah, and like the fact that this um, in 2008, like you know, one part of what reconciliation was acknowledging, right? Yeah, what was yeah. done, which I think uh, Canada has done. Maybe not all of the churches have done that yet, yeah. but um, Canada in the government, the federal, has government apolo- has. the federal government has apologized and has acknowledged this. And in 2008, that was done by Stephen Harper, correct? Yeah, right. So um, 2008 is not that long ago. I think about 2008, and I'm like 13 years. That was not that long ago, and and. To think that when I came to Canada, when I moved to Canada in 2011, um, I didn't really know much about Indigenous history, right? And no. it was only two years ago or three years ago that they even acknowledged that residential schools were bad. Yeah. Or like what they did was essentially cultural genocide, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's just like... Cultural genocide. That's yeah. The so so like that's why, and that's why you know, Maisha and I, we reached out to some of our friends who went to high school in Canada. And uh, we asked them, like, did you learn about residential schools? Did you, how much did you learn about, like, to what extent did you learn about um, Indigenous culture or, like, the oppression of Indigenous people? And, like, like just a quick summary of what I, what I think we saw from their uh, responses was that they had, like, specific years where they had social studies classes, where they learned about Indigenous culture, they learned about Indigenous uh but it was mostly culture from what I see it wasn't really about like the oppression right? no because I think what we understood from our friends who went to high school here is that the history of Canada indigenous people in Canada was being told from the settlers perspective so you know about how Canada came and settled, and then there were these indigenous people. Then all like you know all the good things. Like about, the treaties were good. Like, yeah, it was... and and you know, but you only focused about their cultural, like mm-hmm. like, oh, like these their, their traditional dances yeah. or um, their traditional clothing, uh, their songs. You know the culture. Yeah, stuff, which right? is important, but but you you, you have to. They kind of completely brushed over or maybe rarely mentioned the fact yeah. that hey, Canada didn't just come here and become best friends with yeah. these people. They did this whole sh- you know shebang where yeah. they basically discriminated tortured killed abused mm-hmm. a lot of these people right and exactly. took away their rights yeah so so i think um also uh, most of our friends i think some of them said they didn't know about residential schools until only a few years ago 
Yeah, which that is, shocks me because these people. These but also doesn't shock me, but <laughs> but these friends of ours actually like have been living in Canada, they, you know, raised in Canada, mm-hmm. born in Canada. Yeah. So to think that they're in their whole what high school of eighteen years, and yeah. then after that university years, they only found out about Indian people. They don't know about it enough. Yeah. Like, it's, it's and it's it's weird because like when I first moved here, I used to think like, wow, Canada really respects their Indigenous people because especially at UBC, at in in BC, you know, you see a lot of the names here. Uh, named and there was after. always land acknowledgement. There's always official land, UBC like events. land acknowledgement. Then UBC is always talking about like safe spaces for Indigenous yeah. people. Then there's like all the streets and names and buildings are named after Indigenous yeah. culture. And then you see all the like reconciliation efforts front center but you don't see the trauma that people are still living with till this day right exactly and that i actually found out through my external research through talking to other indigenous people through um like events that were happening in university that was like not so much about the the happy goody to like all the happy flowers and rainbows and shit but like the actual like yeah bad stuff that happened and it's it's i think that goes to show right that yeah uh, and it's kind of kind of like comes in a full circle when you think about it. Like education was a tool that was used by Canada to erase the existence of... erasure of of like a people. Yeah, yeah. and this cultural genocide, right? But now that education is now also the best tool, even according to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's report and their executive summary, they mentioned that education is one of the best tools to start the reconciliation. So Mm -hmm. that, because, you know, like we have to let kids in currently in high schools be aware that, hey, you know what, your indigenous counterparts, because... Just like how, uh, you know, Canada thought that you could erase the indigenous identity from children, right? At yeah. that age, if you want, ch- because that's the best age for kids to learn things, mm-hmm. right? So same now, it's like for people to learn best about the history of indigenous people, it has to start from schools. Exactly. Right? And not just schools. Like I think uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Report actually also said that new new people arriving in Canada who take their oath yeah. to uh, become citizens. Yeah. They have to learn more about the treatment, like about residential yeah. schools, not just about like indigenous culture and respecting them, but about the oppression, about the past, about the trauma, about everything. They have to yeah. be taught that, mm-hmm. and that has to be asked in the Canadian um, right. citizenship exam. And when they took their oath, not just an oath to Her Majesty the Queen, but also an oath to protect and uh, respect the lands the, yeah. of the indigenous people. Yeah. So, like that's part of. The, I don't know if that's been implemented or not, um, but I know when I was reading the report that was, that the was on it. Yeah, one of the so, calls to action because that actually shows like you and I have a responsibility as well as immigrants. Yeah. Yeah. who are now permanent residents in this country who will point. eventually become citizens like we also have to maybe when we take our citizenship test in a few we have years a, we have a hopefully things will change we have a head start because of this episode that's research. true <laughs> yeah no but i think i think yeah like at the end of the day education mm-hmm. from an early young age or even now right yeah. educating yourself is the best way to um not get these unjustified biases yeah. against these people, right? Mm-hmm. These stereotypes and all that we hear in the news, we hear in like day-to-day conversations, yeah. people mention that very unjustified to begin yeah. with. Yeah, and like, you know, it really hurts to think about it. Like, we're from Bangladesh, which is a country which fought, which fought to to, to speak its own language, you know? From, yeah. um, we had like a language movement. Yeah. And uh, we still celebrate International Language Day to this day as like a, as a triumph of like we were able to, we fought to speak our own language and to see that if that was taken away from us, imagine if we couldn't speak Bangla at all. Like that's such a big part of our history. Yeah. And imagine indigenous children, some of them probably don't know their language now because they were in these uh, residential schools which stripped them of their language. Yeah. And like, I think the next indigenous, the next international like language or whatever, I think, I will remember this, that these people also had to give up their language the way that our people did too. And yeah. it's so sad. Yeah. And the difference is, I think, I think about it and I think, you know, we could fight back and yeah. I think they were, 
all means of possibly fighting back was taken away. Yeah. And in a way, they thought that, you know, like, think about it. They thought that they were with, at the end of the day, they thought they were with, you know, friends. These mm-hmm. treaties were made in the spirit of friendship and collaboration and yeah. harmony. And they were kind of betrayed. Yeah. It's like they you didn't betrayed. see it coming. Or yeah. You didn't see it coming, right? They were so betrayed. I think, you know, at the, at the end of the day, uh, residential school is one of the worst things in Canadian history. Yeah. But Indigenous people face a lot, a lot of like uh, bias, a lot of difficulty in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to recognize that in the last decade or so, things have started getting better because there has been an, a, a, an understanding and, and at least the beginning of an awareness yeah. nationwide that what they experienced in residential schools, what Indigenous people continue to experience in the system, the systemic discrimination yeah. um, is not fair mm-hmm. it was a trauma and it's past intergenerational trauma that's gone down the generation in for indigenous people yeah. um and it's 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 just been a horrific experience yeah. overall so i think in our episode today i know we were talking about a lot of like a lot of history and as we were yeah. chiming in with our experience or what we thought and our views but i think the one thing that we hope you take away from this episode is you know just be aware, yeah. you know. So the next time, if first of all, to those who don't live in Canada and are listening to this episode, know that even Canada has a dark yeah. history, right? Because I think every country has a dark history, yeah. right? Even Bangladesh has bad history. But I think at the end of the day, it comes down to being aware of it. So Canada, land of beautiful land, a land that has you know accepted us as immigrants, yeah. a country that's given us so much, um, but it has also taken so much in the his in the past from its from its people yeah right and the thing about history is it can easily be repeated and it af- and it affects Very generations true. and generations like in a, it has a ripple effect yeah so people are still being affected by that history yep. yeah yep yep so yeah so we hope that this episode was sort of like a good overview mm-hmm. and to people living in canada including ourselves we have a responsibility to know more yeah. so that the next time you see an indigenous person this bias or this prejudice or, or this stereotype doesn't come in your mind that they're like this or they do this right yeah. like, like they're giving so many handouts why can't they figure out their life but like it's the system that they're fighting right yeah. so and, we yeah. need to do better exactly on that note june is national indigenous history month so please take the time to educate yourself about canadian indigenous history um about the oppression that they've gone through about the about the stuff that they're still fighting for till this mm-hmm. day. And um, on that note, you know, there's indigenous populations everywhere in the world that yeah. till this day are fighting for a right to their land, for a right to just, you know, live freely. So, because it's never okay to yeah. come in and take someone's land yeah. and then tell them that get out and change yourself if you want to get back yeah. in. Go educate yourselves. And this is kind of an episode for us to reflect on uh, everything that just happened in Canada. And we are also going to try to bring on some... Um, indigenous voices that amplify their voices on yeah. this platform so we're trying talk. our best to reach yeah. out if anybody you know if our listeners or anybody knows anyone that we should just you know follow us on instagram you can message us there at that's what they said podcast mm-hmm. and uh, yeah exactly right thanks guys for listening we are available on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, and podbean for updates and to connect with us don't forget to follow us on instagram at, at that's what they said podcast